you know, the idea is, you know, test, analyze, success, make larger, failure, why, and move on. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Ways of Working podcast, your weekly dose of practical tips for leaders who are trying to gain that high performance edge without burning themselves or their teams out. Now, before you put down your phone or click away from this window, make sure you hit follow or subscribe on your preferred platform of choice to make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the Ways of Working podcast with our incredible experts and guests. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Ways of Working podcast. I am joined this week by the fabulous Glenn Gardone. Glenn has been in the world of consumer packaging and food services for over 30 years, I believe, and has worked with organizations such as Del Monte, Kellogg, PepsiCo, and a variety of smaller industries, five successful exits from various organizations, um, an absolute wealth of experience. Glenn, welcome to the show. Jimmy, thank you for having me. It's greatly appreciated. And I'm excited to get a chance to catch and chat with you and uh, hopefully give a little bit of knowledge to those listening and uh, they'll find it uh, that it can help them in our journey. Absolutely. And Glenn, you know, you're now, well, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. Tell us what you're doing now and tell us how you got to this point, because what you're doing now is a little bit different to where you've come from. Yeah. You know, so now I actually run uh, Red Chocolate. So I actually brought it here to the United States. Uh, about four years ago, about five months before a global pandemic shut the world down. Uh, so perfect time to launch a brand new product to the American consumer. Um, and, uh, you know, this is uh, this is a little more personal to me. You know, I've I've sold the widgets. I've been in finance. I've, I've done a lot of widget selling throughout my career and widget marketing and those kind of things where you just try to put lipstick on a pig for lack of a better phrase. And this for me is uh, it's a lot more personal at this point in my career. And it's at this point, it's like one of my kids, I guess the best way to put it. So there's a definitely a, a, a legacy piece of this. There's a, there's a very, very personal piece to this role in this organization and what we're trying to accomplish here. And let's dig into that personal because one of the things that we talk about in our organization is the power of personal purpose, linking to role purpose, linking to team and organizational purpose. You're a purpose-driven individual now. Your entire organization and the business that you're promoting is purpose-driven. Tell us about what is that personal connection for you? So I'm actually a type 2 diabetic. I knew about RED prior to me bringing it here to the States. So uh, I had, uh, I've, I've traveled all over the world. I've been uh, you know, in my career, all different parts of the world, working with different groups. And uh, I actually found RED at uh, Heathrow Airport, W.H. Smith. And uh, I'm always on a hunt. Look, I'm an unapologetic chocoholic. I'll be the first one to admit it. It's probably why I'm a type 2 diabetic, one of the reasons. Um, and so uh, I'm always, you know, looking at packaging, looking at it, turning it over, ingredient reader, so on and so forth. And I saw this product and I went, ah, okay. You know, because the problem is when you look at a no sugar added chocolate or sugar-free chocolate, a lot of times you'd rather eat the package it came in because that'll probably taste better than the product itself. So it's kind of a bummer, you know, from personal, because you go out and you see people and they're ordering this and all that, you can't, you know, it's just, you know, if I did, I'd end up in a hospital, needless to say. So, you know, it really limits, you know, your, your enjoyment. And I like enjoyment. I'm not going to lie to you. I, I, you know, it's fun for me. And so I actually picked up a bar and I was sitting down waiting for my flight back to the States and I took a bite of it and I went, ah, this is really 
really good. This is weird. And so I took a couple more bites and, you know, I, and I was eating. I went, this, this stuff is, is excellent. So I actually went back to WH Smith. They had nine bars. I bought all nine bars, put them in my briefcase and I came home and my wife was like, what's this? I'm like, oh, I found it on the road, you know, blah, blah. I was telling her about it. She tried, she went, are you sure this is, this is no sugar rat? She goes, I can't even tell the difference. I'm like, I know it's really good. So, you know, that was probably two or three years before. And every time I would travel, because they were in about 17 countries throughout Europe. So I'd always look for them. And, you know, it wasn't like I knew the company. I just I knew the brand. I liked the brand. I liked what they were doing. I liked everything about it. And so I was I was a fan of it. So I'm in an organization and uh, we sell that organization. You know, we have our exit. We get our checks, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting at home. You know, I was doing 200,000 miles on an airplane. I was exhausted. I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Out of the blue, I get a phone call from the ownership group uh, from Red and says, hey, you know, we're looking to come to the U.S. Your name's popped up a bunch of times. Like you said, you know, I've been in this business over 30 years. So, you know, I started when I was seven because I'm only 37 years old. No, I'm kidding. Um, And uh, so, you know, they asked, would you meet with us? I'm like, sure. In my head, I'm like, I want to see who these people are. You know, it's like it wasn't even about bringing them to the States. And so we met in New York and it was a four hour meeting. The first three and a half hours I sat there, explained to them why they didn't want to come to the United States, because, you know, everybody in Europe sees dollar signs in their eyes. I mean, the American consumer, there's there's nothing like it throughout the world. We are we love consumption. And we consume and we we pay for those products that we enjoy. And when I say enjoy, I'm not talking about just from a you know taste, but I'm talking about from a visual, from a what I call a value perspective, which we can talk about in a second here. And uh, so after about three and a half hours, they said to me, so are you done? And I laughed. They said, yeah, I'm done. And the person who became a very close friend of mine at that point said, so when do you want to join us? And I said, you know what? This could be a lot of fun, I said, because this is something that I can do and I can enjoy. Because here's the thing, I'm in my office right now and within 10 feet of me, there's probably 25 different chocolate bars. You know, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I was grabbing one here. I was actually talking to somebody and this product we actually launched last year, which is our blonde. We did 122 versions of it before we came up with this. So I got to try the different products. So, you know, I get to have a little fun. You know, I've gotten a chance to put the entire team in place that we have here. So everybody's handpicked. Everybody's passionate about what they do. It's not a bunch of Glens running around because you'd want to, you know, you'd want to kill yourself if that was the case. Uh, one Glen in this world is plenty. Uh, and so, you know, we've just been able to build this, this amazing team. And uh, for me, like I said, it's personal because, when I talk to people, you know, I get to tell them about Red, and, and, and it's a prideful moment because it satisfied me from personal nature. You know, if I never sold a bar of it, yeah, it, it would it would stink. Don't get me wrong, but it's personal. You know, what I mean, so for me, it was excellent, and I figured, well, if I like it, there's got to be others out there that like it too. And you know, now we do millions of bars every month, so it's a whole bunch of us that love it. So you know, getting a chance to to talk to people, and you know, being in food, you know, if you think about uh, you know, all the different roles you have, you know, you go out yourself and you, you buy a shirt. That's a personal choice, the shirt. Well, what you put in your body is even more personal. So, you know, when, when I talk about, you know, being part of the red family, we're part of that journey in people's lives. You know, we're, we're, we are at that point where, you know, we are so close with them that they don't talk about things like this. Like, how often do you sit at a party and go, oh, guess what I had for lunch today? I had blah, 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 blah.
But, you know, throughout your lunchtime, you think to yourself, what do I want? Why do I want it? How am I going to enjoy it? And we get to be part of that journey. So from just a many different areas, it's just it, it's personal in nature. And it's this has been an amazing journey. And, and I, I'm more energized here than I have been probably in the last 10 years where it was a lot of autopilot. I knew what I had to do. We got it done. We sold it. We moved on. I really feel the passion coming through. And we'll, we'll talk more about the team and, and, and the passion that you've created in the team in a little bit. But I, want, I wanted to clarify again for our listeners that you've essentially joined a business that sells sugar-free chocolate. It's kind of like taking all the fun out of chocolate in some people's minds. And I've got a dad who's a diabetic. So I also have you know, desperately searched around for the option, but it's for a minority audience. Well, you could be perceived to be a minority audience, but what you're saying is you can have all the fantastic fun and benefit of chocolate without the sugar, right? You, with, all, with all the bad stuff taken out. Tell us a little bit more about how, how have you gone on that journey to be part of Red to essentially sell something that's the non-sexy version of the thing that people like to have. You know, because if you think about this category, I mean, you know, you think about the two or three behemoths that are in the, you know, candy aisle, so to speak. And, you know, they're representing over 80% of the total business. So this is definitely uh, not for the faint of heart, as we like to say. So it is definitely, uh, you know, a continuous struggle to get your message out to consumers because they're being inundated. You know, what... For me, everything we do here in the U.S., I hate to say it, but it is my personal opinion, but I kind of take my opinion based on also my experience being in the industry and talking to consumers every single day. And so when we bring out something, whether it be the blonde, whether it be our new vegan, you know, it's it's not about just pushing out that next item. If I'm going to do it, I want to do it right. So, you know, we... I, I don't use stevia, for instance, okay? And the reason I don't use stevia is I don't like stevia. It's just a personal thing. I don't like the taste it leaves. And, and, and when you start to use it in different variations, I don't think it's a good fit. You know, European chocolate is like a fine red wine. That's what I try to explain to people. You know, the coca is the body, just like you'd use the grapes. And then, you know, you have the hints of oak and so on and so forth based on the red wine. Well, it's the same thing with European chocolate. You know, we've got a dark chocolate orange and almond. You know, when you eat it, you feel the base, but then you've got the hints of orange, the zest. You've got the little bites. It's not a nut cluster. We don't make nut clusters. And so the idea is that, you know, you you visually enjoy it. You taste buds wise, you enjoy it. And then mentally you can enjoy it because of the fact, again, we are pleasure without the guilt. And that's, you know, that's been our differentiator because you're absolutely right. You know, you think about uh, non-sexy and, you know, we make something that nobody ever saw as sexy, sexy. You know, I like to think of red as a badge. You know, there's a, a big candy company out there that starts with the letter H. And a lot of people eat it and they'll stick it in their drawer because they don't want to show people are eating it. Well, I want people to take their red and I want to put it on the top of the desk because I want them to be proud and know that this is a chocolate that was made for them designed for them and thought of the entire process for them. And that's really been the difference. And I think mm -hmm. the American consumer, I mean, we've gone from 18 countries, we're in close to 30 countries now. And, you know, we continue to grow and grow and grow. And, I, and it's not because we're trying to not be true to ourselves. We're not trying to come up with that, you know, flavor of the month kind of thing. You know, we don't want to just jump on a bandwagon. It's what we do is we do it. We do it for our reasons, 
but we know they're the right reasons. And since they're the right reasons, people are going to go, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, I get what you're trying to do. And they give us the opportunity because that's all we ask for is give us the opportunity. Now, I will tell you, you know, data, I'm a data maniac. I Wherever I could find data from because I love data. And we found that 80% of the people that try red love red. You know what? That still means 20%. We'll take and go, yeah, thanks. But now I'm going to go back to my other sugar chocolate. Person mm -hmm. like me, I can't. But there are people out there that do. And we understand because we're not going to be for everybody. We're definitely not. But, you know, we'll, we'll satisfy 80% of the people out there. Yeah. No, I, I think it's very interesting. And let's go a little bit deeper on this. And there will be listeners. Most of our listeners are, are senior leaders in organizations. There'll be listeners who maybe have a non-sexy product. And it, it could be a widget, it could be a gadget, it could be a machine, it could be something that is the not so well-known brand version of a, a product that has maybe a large competitor. Can you talk us through some of the things, at the, almost at a practical level, some of the things you did that made sugar-free chocolate something that 80% of people are willing to try and like? Yeah. What sort of journey did you go on to change people's minds that maybe sugar-free chocolate was a good thing? No, that's an excellent question. So the first thing we did was we started out what we call our value proposition. And when you think value, again, I can line up 10 people and I'll get seven different variations of value. Somebody could be, oh, it's all about price. Okay, it's about price. But then you get others that say, does it meet my needs personally? Does it taste good? Do I like the packaging? Can I get it with ease? I mean, those are value propositions. So when you take those different pieces and we try to meet the value propositions that we felt were best for us. Now, you know, when it comes to the product itself, we wanted it to taste amazing. So that was our focus. I mean, we spent three years in the kitchen before we even launched Red because we knew we could get there. But we want to get there and be able to stay there and have a reason for being. Because even though, like you said, not sexy, but the fact is when people buy us, it'll become their own sexy. Because, look, we're chocolate, man. You know what I mean? We're, we make amazing chocolate. But the fact is, we're chocolate. <laughs> you know? So we want people when they pick us up because... It's not transactional to us. I never want to do a transaction, whether I'm working with my retail partners, whether I'm working with consumers. I, I want it to be that relationship. And that's why we use the term red family, because we want people to be to allow us to be part of their family. And so we started with the value proposition. We agreed that this was right on what we wanted to be. And like as we continue to mature or grow up, as I like to say, our values haven't changed. They haven't. You know, the one thing that's always asked me is, you know, how has the consumer changed? The consumer really hasn't changed. The message delivery on how to get to the consumer, that's changed drastically. And it changed even more during COVID, you know, when we call a, a shopping experience. So if you're if you're if you own a retail store or several stores, you think about the consumer, their consumer shopping starts before they even show up in the store. And it's because they want to know what you're about. What does your storefront look like? And then when you go in, you know, what is your store? How is it situated? Well, it's the same thing when you look at consumer packaged goods. You know, you think about one aisle down, you know, down a store, there's 10,000 SKUs. How are you going to get the consumer to know about you? Just based on that, if they're walking in before, we used to do a lot more moseying, as I like to call it, down the aisle pre-COVID, where right now we're more, you know, 
focused and determined to get through the store as quick as possible. And, you know, you've got a lot of people that are doing curbside pickup and all the different things. And so what we had to do is we had to adapt and we had to make sure that we were bringing the message, you know, to the consumer when they wanted to see it. We also had to ensure that we were in a position to be able to deliver not only the product, but the final results. Because again, you talk about non-sexy, you think about our e-commerce business. You know, we want people, you know, it's all about being seamless. We want people to be able to shop with ease, be able to enjoy the experience. And then when the product comes, to be happy about it and go, okay, these people care. You know, I opened up and it wasn't just thrown in a box and blah, blah, blah. You know, when I opened it, it looked like, you know, we were packing something for one of our family members. And so it's the it's really the the basics. And that's what I think a lot of people that they forget about. They forget that, okay, I just I gotta go get that person. I gotta go get and they're constantly focused on getting that next person. Satisfy the people you got because those are probably your biggest opportunities to grow your business. Because you know, we we we've all been with friends and somebody said, Oh, what's that? Oh, that's so-and-so, man. I just got it. It's awesome. You look at it and go, you know what? I should try one of those as opposed to seeing it on, you know, one of your social media channels 37 times and, you know, doing the thumb thing. You know what I mean? So it's it's important. So, again, talk about boring. Talk about non-sexy. It's satisfying the individuals. I want to make sure every time, you know, we've got a, you know, every time you buy one of our products, one of these comes in. And the idea is, you know, just we want to hear about what we do. And you scan with your uh, with your phone ask a couple of questions, but what it does is it allows us to make sure that we satisfied your needs, we hear how you found out about us, all those different things. Again, very basic, but things you have to do to ensure that you can grow. So that's how you try to take something that's probably not as sexy as other things, but but make it sexy to yourself without a ton of money. There's some key points around running a business there that I think are really worth highlighting. Number one is, is really focusing on the customers that you do have and turning them into advocates for mm. your brand, your product, your service, whatever it might be, versus yeah. is it constantly trying to convert the masses? Actually, if you've got some, they can advocate for you. That's far more powerful than what you're doing yourself. Clearly, mm. there's a heavy emphasis on passion and pushing the, the message versus the product. What's the message? What's the experience we're trying to create for you? I really like that piece. And, and the third one, I think that you really carry through there is around making it a worthwhile experience. No matter what, how sexy or unsexy your product or service is, if you can help that other person have a great experience whilst they're working with you or experiencing your product, then then they're going to have potentially more traction and maybe even become that advocate for you in the future. Some great, great points there, Glenn. Hey there, Jimmy here. Hope you're well. I just wanted to drop into this podcast and let you know that my new book, Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance, the leader's playbook for building a high performance culture is going to be released very soon. And if you haven't already, head over to my website and grab yourself the first chapter of the book absolutely free. The address you want to go to is beatburnout.jimmyburrows.com forward slash book and you can download that first free chapter to get you interested and excited about the topic of purpose and the reason we're giving it away for free is because we think that purpose is the single most important factor for beating burnout and we want to get it into as many hands as possible 
So head over to beatburnout.jimmyburrows.com forward slash book, grab Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance, the leader's playbook for building a high performance culture and enjoy reading. How did you build a team of people around you that are able to support this mission? Because you're clearly on a mission, right? You're a man on a mission. So yeah. where, where do you find people like that? How do, you, how do you build a team with the same level of passion as you have? So I, I have a couple of personal rules. Like if I meet somebody, look, I can teach you how to read a P&L. I can teach you how to do a computer. I can teach those basics. I can't teach passion. I cannot teach passion. So I need people that are passionate. And, you know, don't get me wrong, Jimmy, I'm not one of those people that, you know, it's 18 years old, found their goal in life and, you know, have been charging through life doing it. I wasn't until my 40s till I figured out what I truly wanted to do, you know, but it's not like I sat around and wasted my time because I knew doing the things I was doing, you know, it was going into my, you know, mental, you know, safe here, knowing I would need those at some point. And so, you know, when, when building the team, it's really a, a personal thing for me because I, I want to get to know people. Look, I don't expect it. And I think if you talk to anybody here, I never expect anybody to work as many hours as I do. I, I just don't expect it. Do I have it? Yeah, I do. And I get very angry with them. I'm like, go home. Don't stay here. You know what I mean? Go have some fun. You know, don't be like me. You don't have to be. But, you know, I, I think when I knew that I had an amazing team, so the global pandemic hit. Again, we were five months you know, it's just launched. So we were literally at the early stages and uh, we had some customers and we were shipping products. And I get a call from my uh, global supply chain person. And she said, hey, now everybody was home. You know, we were shut down. If you remember back then, nobody knew what was going on. There were a million stories. And my supply chain manager said, hey, look, we're going to go in the office. I said, well, what are you talking about? She goes, Glenn, we got to ship. You know, I've talked to the team. They're willing to do it. I was like, look, if you're going in, I'm going to go in too because I got to make sure everything's done safely. We got to do more than what we think we need to do because I'm not taking any chances, man. Because again, we're a chocolate company. You know, it's not like I'm sitting here saving lives. I'm making it somewhat more enjoyable, but I ain't saving a life. Uh, and so, you know, we came in and, you know, we were very methodical in what we did and we were probably running at maybe 20% just because of the amount of space and distance and everything. We're probably here three or four days and I get a call from my head of marketing and she said, uh, hey, Glenn, I heard you're in the office. I'm like, yeah, but, you know, and I told her, she's like, we're coming in. I said, who's we? She goes, my entire team. I was like, what are you talking about? She said, look, I, I talked with the group. We all need to be together right now. This is when we need to make sure that we believe in this or we don't believe in it. And within two weeks, we had everybody. Now, again, if you think back the way it was, and I sat around here and, you know, I, uh, it, it gives me goosebumps to this day because I was, I was so touched and so appreciative of what everybody did because it was well above and beyond what the expectations were. But they did it for love. They did it for respect and kindness, you know. I talk to a lot of, you know, uh, leaders and they, we always, the, the subject of culture comes up. What's your culture like? What's, and everybody thinks, you know, you read these articles and blah, blah. Very simple way to know what your culture is like. If you can get as many folks as you can within your team, if you've got a lot, if you've got a few, if you got four, get a pizza or something that's shareable, as I like to say. Put it in a room. If everybody runs into the room, grabs it, and then runs off, you don't have a culture. What you've got is you've got a bunch of workers. But if you've got something where people are sitting down and you can hear, and again, I'm, I'm one of those that circle the room because I like to hear what's going on in the room. And I hear people talking about what they did for the weekend or talking about business and they truly enjoy each other's company. 
that's something I don't care what book you have. You can't force people to like each other, you know, and you shouldn't want to. And I've been in those situations where they try to, and it's an absolute failure. That really lines up with, with the work that we do, where we say that you need to connect people. It's not about connecting yeah. positions or responsibilities or tasks. It's about human to human connection. And your culture is defined by the level of trust and connection that exists in the team. What are some of the, and I think you're echoing that, what are some of the small steps that you believe are maybe the, the, the force multipliers or the culture catalysts that you've put in place with Red that means that people are coming in out of passion because they care, because they want to be connected with everybody else at that time? What, could you give us a couple of examples? Yeah, I'll give you the most important one for me. Uh, your opinion matters. Okay. And what I mean by that is if you're within this organization, I want to hear your opinion. Now, that being said, and I tell people all the time, understand that, you know, my role is to understand everything that's going on within Red. And while you give me your opinion, I'd be able to take 100% of it. I may not be able to take any of it. Doesn't mean I didn't listen to you and I appreciate the input. But the fact is, I've got to keep and continue the business moving forward. And there have been times where, you know, somebody's come up with an idea. And we all look at each other like, man, that's a great idea. <laughs> Let's do it. You know, and it just and within 48 hours, it was instituted and we were rocking and rolling. And there's been others where people have said, hey, we'd like to do this. And it's like, well, I want you to think about this, this, and this. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, but again, nobody's upset. It's like, you know, again, if you're here, you deserve a seat at the table. And your opinion matters. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I try to bring to an organization is that I want to hear from you because I'm not the smartest guy at the table and I never want to be. I like to surround myself with smart people. I love it. And because the fact is, as the CEO, when I have people come through my door and say, I've got an issue. Well, it already went through the smart person. So it's going to be a difficult issue, you know? So you always want to surround yourself. I never worried about it in my career, having people smarter than me, whether report to me or work with me. I, I, I've just never worried about it because, hey, I want everybody to shine. Can we go a little bit deeper on that as well, Glenn? Um, sure. Because this is, this is one of the key challenges that a lot of leaders have is that, they feel like, well, I'm the leader. I have to be the smartest person. I have to be the one who has the answers. I have to be the one who solves all the problems because I'm the leader. It's up to me. How have you let go of that mindset? How, what, what was the, the thing for you that allowed you to say, well, actually, I want to have smarter people than me around? You know, a long time ago, I've, I've had the opportunity to have different mentors in my career. And I was with a very large organization, employee 10,604, whatever my employee number was. And, uh, I, you know, I was pretty successful and I had been promoted several times. And, you know, I was a go-getter and, you know, wanted to push through and I wanted to take everybody with me. And, you know, it's just like, you know, follow me, charge kind of thing. And uh, he sat me down one day and he said, Glenn, how long has this company been around? before you shut up. And I said, oh, it's been around 100 years. He said, that's right. And when you leave, no matter what it is, leaving on your own, retiring, whatever, how long do you think this company is going to be around after you leave? I said, huh, probably another 100 years. He said, that's right. So understand what your role and position is within this organization. You know, the, the not that I had to conform, but you have to understand. See, I was never a person that understood titles. I don't care what your title is. Let's have a conversation. If we connect, awesome. If we don't, okay. You know, we're, we're not everybody's going to like each other, but I don't care if you're, you know, uh, you know, 
a warehouse worker or are you the CEO of, you know, the top three retail companies in the world? Let's just have an honest conversation and see how it goes. And I forget people, a lot of people don't think that way, that that hierarchy means something. And so, you know, I would go, I would walk into a room and all of a sudden people would get nervous because I was there and I wasn't used to that. So it was more of a maturity, but really it being pointed out and then just me thinking about it and how I can affect positively and negatively. And so really that was that aha moment for me. And that's where I decided, you know what, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I'm a smart guy, you know, I've been successful, but I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And even if I thought I was, which I never do, you still got to surround yourself with smarter people. You got to go search for smartest people because I'm not the smartest on the planet. That I know for a fact. So therefore, there are smarter people than me. And, you know, again, I, I, I'll pick on my supply chain manager. Uh, she's brilliant, you know, she's brilliant in her own ways. And I see what she does and, you know, and it's the, she's trained, she's focused, she's passionate about that piece. And I could never do her role. You know, I could half-heartedly do it, I guess, if you want to call it that, or, you know, cause I just don't have that expertise and experience. And so why would I want to step in her and not having the answer? You know what? I mean, I'm human. I, Global pandemic. I've been doing this for, like I said, three decades. Never been involved in a global pandemic in my life, believe it or not. Not me either. Never been in a spot where, you know, we're going to shut down the entire world. Surprise, surprise. I didn't have the answers for it. You know, so when it comes to the day to day stuff, there are times where I don't have the answer. And that's where I say, okay, so what do you think? What's going on? And, you know, we have that conversation and we put enough, you know, kindling in and we could turn this into a beautiful flaming fire with the care needed, as opposed to just running through with your hair caught on fire, screaming. I really resonate with your perspective on that idea of not needing to be the smartest person in the room and actually repositioning yourself as the leader who is there to access everybody else's talents and magic. And your job is to almost, uh, we call it the icebreaker leader. It's the one who breaks the ice so the ships can sail through faster. Uh, and also the icebreaker at the start of a conference, which gets everybody warmed up and starts them networking and talking to each other. We think a leader plays that role. But it's, I love that idea for you that you're saying, well, actually, my job is not to be the smartest person or to have all the answers. It's to access the people who are the smart people and do have all the answers. And that makes you and them look great. I'm really resonating with that. So thank you for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. I want to get back to those culture catalysts. And in our, in our earlier conversation, you mentioned the idea in, in when you're building a culture of planting the seeds that feed the team. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, you know, the goal always is to, so for me, personally for me, my goal throughout my career has been to be able to go to bed on a Sunday night, happy to wake up on Monday morning because I'm going to work. You know, it may not sound like a lot, but it's huge. You know what I mean? And so, you know, from a culture standpoint, I try to put myself in the position of everybody within an organization. So, you know, you're talking about icebreaker. So I call myself an administrative assistant because that's what my role is. My role is to assist everybody, to make sure they have the proper tools, to make sure they have the proper training, to make sure they have the, you know, the, the proper uh, KPIs and the the desire and need to be successful within our organization and within themselves. You know, we have a an intern program we do here and we have quite a few interns that come through and getting the opportunity to to work with them and, you know, because they're at the 
beginning stage of their career and seeing them get the opportunity to, you know, because we've had finance people in here, for instance. And so seeing those finance people move on to working within the organization that that was their goal. It's again, it's, it's part of being able to be that positive influence. And I think, you know, if as the CEO, whatever you do compounds exponentially as you move within the organization. And so, you know, when you talk about knowing the answers, if you don't know the answer and you think you should, there's panic that sets in and that panic resonates deeper and stronger as you go throughout the organization because people think well if he knows everything and he's nervous what is it i don't know and how much should i be freaked out and so you know i think what we try and do here again from a from a culture standpoint is you know we want it to be a spot where you can you can fear bringing up something that may not be right, you can fear making that mistake because, again, we don't have all the answers. You know, the idea is, you know, test, analyze, success, make larger, failure, why, and move on. You know, because you can test and fail, but you don't throw it all away. It could be that your test was a failure. And so, you know, everybody knows that they can walk into my office and go, hey, you remember that X? Yeah, we tried it. We were expecting X plus 5%. It bombed. Okay. And now my question is always, why did it bomb? And it'll be, you know, well, we were promised this, but it was this. Okay, let's move on. Or you know what? The brand messaging that we did, it, it didn't resonate. We we know now that we should have done this. Okay, let's test again. And I think if you get the people want to be part of something bigger and they want to be part of something successful. I've never met a person that said, I don't want to be involved and I want it to fail. Well, if you do have employees like that, you know what you need to do, needless to say. So I think as long as you can foster that 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 passion, you can tell people, again, them having that passion and you being able to put a little bit of a flame underneath it, it allows people to grow. And the more you can allow people to grow, the more they're going to want to succeed. And don't get me wrong. You know, we haven't had a lot of people leave the organization, but those that have had you know, I've wished them only the best because I knew they were doing it to better their career. Like, you know, they were running a business here and it was worth $5 million. Now they got the opportunity to run a business that's $30 million, you know, and it was their progression within their career. And I fault nobody for that. I think it's fabulous. And we're here and we're a fan and we'll cheer you on as you go through. And it's not fake then, you know, because I've been in those roles where, you know, I was with a big company and I got an opportunity to go somewhere else. And the people I thought would be like, boy, you know, they were sticking daggers in it. And the people I thought didn't even care, like, oh, good for you, man. Excellent. Remember me, <laughs> you know, one of those things. So I, I and you, you saw a lot of uh, a lot of fakeness. And I think that, you know, we're not fake. You know, we, we say what we believe and we do what we believe. Um, strong alignment. And, you know, the idea of almost creating the employee experience, like you created your customer experience, which is should be a great experience, right? Yeah. So beautiful overlaps again with the, the stuff that we talk around, the idea of making an abundant environment where people feel safe, not people in fight or flight or freeze all the time, but they feel safe to try some stuff, to make some mistakes, to know that we're going to learn from those mistakes. So even if it's a perceived fail, actually, it's not a fail. It's one step closer to success because we had to learn something to get us to success. I think there's some really, really beautiful lessons in there, Glenn. Um, and it sounds like you know, you've brought a, that that 30 plus years of experience in a variety of industries and concentrated it into guilt-free chocolate, which I'm personally very excited about. 
Glenn, if people want to find out more about Red, talk to you more, get in touch, what's the best way for them to, to connect? You know, I, I tell everybody, if you go to red-chocolate.com, you're going to learn all about the history of Red. Uh, we've got everything, you know, all about us, but you also have, there's an about us and I'm there with a little bit of my information and all of my contact information. And if somebody writes to me, I reply back to them. We have a chat. If I can help, I help. If I can't, maybe I know somebody that can, because, you know, the way I see it, you know, we've all been on one knee having to take a, a moment. And, you know, what I try and tell people is, look, there may not be, you know, folks like myself who have gone through it. We may not be there in person, but it, but in spirit, our hand is on your shoulder saying it's okay. But get up. I call it punching through the mud, man. And we've all had to do that. We have to punch through the mud. And so, you know, take the knee, but stand up and do what you need to do to be successful. And as long as you believe in it and you're passionate about it, you know, you will succeed. It may not be the way you expected it but you will succeed. So go there. I also tell people to go to the website at red-chocolate.com because again, being chocolate, you know, what we've done is we've actually, we work with chefs throughout the world and we have a chef series. And so I think this month is how to build a mole sauce using our chocolate. And so the idea being, again, you can do different things with it, enjoy it, have a bite or use it for cooking, use it in dessert, use it in a, you know, sweet potato bomb, whatever. But uh, the idea being that, you know, have a little fun with it. Because after all, that's what life's about, man. Pleasure with no guilt, as much as you can possibly get to do it. I love it. Um, Glenn, your passion, your energy, your culture, and certainly your product, really grateful for all of your time today. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, speak to you soon. Sounds great. Thank you again. Thank you for having me on. That's it for this week's episode of the Ways of Working podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation here, why not head over to jimmyburrows.com forward slash book and grab chapter one of our amazing upcoming book, Beat Burnout, Ignite Performance. It's the leader's playbook for building a high performance culture. So if you're looking for practical tips and to understand why people in your team or yourself are burning out and what to do about it so you can all keep working and perform better, this is the place for you. Go to jimmyburrows.com forward slash book and grab that first chapter. We'll also keep you posted when the full book is released very soon. Also, if you enjoyed this episode of the Ways of Working podcast, don't forget to follow or subscribe on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And we'll make sure that you get all of the upcoming episodes as they come out every single week. Take care. Speak soon.